When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. The Hartford understands protecting your business with the proper insurance can be a challenge. The Hartford team can provide coverage to suit your industry. The Hartford empowers mid- to large-size companies like yours to help manage risk, from liability and property insurance to workers' comp and more. Let the Hartford help protect what's unique about your business. Learn how at thehartford.com. Meet Gary. Gary's about to become an Einstein in an instant. Whoa, Einstein hair. I like it. That's right, Gary, because you're using Salesforce powered by Einstein AI to connect data, predict business trends, generate personalized content, and wow customers. I do feel a lot smarter. Because you're not just Gary anymore. You're Gary, empowered by Einstein AI. Did you hear that, team? I'm an Einstein. Oh, can I get a selfie? The number one AI CRM. Now everyone's an Einstein with Salesforce. Now, from our nation's capital, this is Bloomberg Sound On. I'm telling the American people that we're going to get control of inflation. Mitch McConnell is a disgrace, and I hope you're going to do something about it, J.D. They hit the jackpot to be able to be in the wealthiest sanctuary jurisdiction in the world. Bloomberg Sound On. Politics, policy, and perspective from D.C.'s top names. Donald Trump said, no, I'm not inciting. This is just my opinion. But he has a way of saying things that we know incite. Yeah, it's kind of like the United States of Nicaragua. I mean, (laughs) Bloomberg Sound On with Joe Matthew on Bloomberg Radio. President Biden opens a busy week with hopes for a soft landing. Welcome to the fastest hour in politics. As the president returns to the nation's capital after attending the queen's funeral and before tomorrow's trip to the U.N., We'll be joined in a moment by Pangea Policy founder Terry Haynes on the president's rising approval ratings and the fiscal instability he's facing. The president has declared an end to the pandemic, but not everyone agrees. We'll talk with Dr. Eric Topol, professor of molecular medicine at Scripps Research Institute later this hour. And we'll put all that and more to our signature panel. Bloomberg Politics contributors Jeannie Shanzano and Rick Davis are with us for the hour. President Biden touched down at Andrews about a half hour ago. Quick trip to London for the Queen's funeral. Sound of the funeral procession following the service at Westminster Abbey. Dignitaries from around the world gathered to pay final respects. It was really something to see. And you saw it and heard it unfold, of course, live here on Bloomberg Radio. Many of the same dignitaries will be back together in a matter of hours as the U.N. General Assembly takes place this week. President Biden quick to head home with the First Lady for that reason. He will speak Wednesday, which, yes, of course, is Fed Day. After telling 60 Minutes last night that we are getting our arms around inflation. I'm telling the American people that we're going to get control of inflation. We're in a position where for the last several months it hasn't spiked. And in the meantime, we created all these jobs and prices have have gone up, but they've come down for energy. It hasn't spiked, he says, but of course it still needs to go down and by a lot. 
And the Federal Reserve will likely remind everyone of this in just two days. Joining us to talk about it, Terry Haynes, founder of Pangea Policy here in Washington. He just happens to be in London, as a matter of fact. And I can't imagine, Terry, that you had this funeral in mind when you first scheduled this trip. You doing all right? Yeah, I'm doing fine. Thank you very much. It's, Thanks for joining uh, it's, us so late. It's, no, no, of course. it's uh, Look, it's quite something. It's, uh, you know, a lot of Washingtonians have been in and around uh, inaugurals. Uh, imagine this. Yeah. On one yeah. level, imagine this times about five. Uh, <laughs> and, of course, the uh, the significance of it is, uh, you know, almost unprecedented. You've got right. change out of the head of state after 70 years. So it's very, very consequential in a lot of ways. So, Terry, the Biden administration seems to have won the argument that we are not in a recession right now, despite the, the two quarters of negative growth. <laughs> Can it win the argument that Joe Biden just made to 60 minutes that inflation is bad, but the rest of the economy is good? No, I don't think they can, Joe. A couple of things. It is, uh, you know, the facts augur against them, uh, number one. Number two, I think the experiences of the lived experience of people every day uh, augurs against them, uh, you know, who not only experience the inflation, but they're being told that there's serious inflation that's not going to go down anytime soon. Uh, thirdly, uh, uh, Biden seems to have a basic messaging problem uh, on this. I thought this was the I thought this was the Fed's issue to solve a few months ago, and now yeah. he wants to take it back and say that we will, um, which, of course, puts him more in the bullseye rather than less. So, you know, I'm, I'm not a, a, I'm, I don't mistake uh, messaging for reality, but uh, messaging shapes reality sometimes, and uh, uh, they're having a hard time. Well, if, you know, he likes to talk about gas prices and reminding that we, uh, you know, they've been been releasing millions of barrels from the strategic reserve. So taking credit for that. Um, but of course, you know, as we look at this winter approaching, oil prices may not stay where they are. We're celebrating mid eighties right now, Terry, what do you expect? We're going to, we're going to be talking about when it gets cold outside, because that changes the whole picture for the CPI for everything we're talking about. Sure. Sure. And I, I, well, I expect it to go up for a variety of reasons. Uh, one being, uh, one being Ukraine and uh, the continued difficulties there. Another being, uh, what needs to happen in order to help Europe. And I think there's not enough attention paid to that in the United States and why it will be in our interests to, to do as much proactively for Europe as possible. So uh, net, net of that, uh, uh, they will probably have, there will probably be a situation where, uh, where the price of oil goes up yet again. Yeah. Uh, the administration is going to need to do something about that. So I think I wouldn't overpromise if I were them. You're writing, uh, Terry, about fiscal instability as another byproduct of, of these conditions of inflation, of monetary policy, combining rising fiscal instability. That is yeah. not music to the ears of the Biden administration. What does it mean? You know, it's not going to it's not going to change a lot between now and November. But as we go into next year and this president thinks about running for reelection, it's going to be a major story, right? Oh, I think so. Uh, two things about this. One is, you know, it'd be very facile of me to sit this week and particularly sit in London this week and say, you know, we're at some kind of a hinge here. But uh, mm -hmm. in a number of ways we are. Uh, but the, uh, you know, we, one hinge we're in right now is the divergence for the first time in a generation uh, between monetary policy and fiscal policy. Monetary policy has enabled 
continued fiscal growth. It has enabled, among other things, uh, the huge splashouts we've seen over the past several years for COVID-related things and for the Biden administration's uh, priorities. Uh, that's all well and good as long as there's accommodative uh, monetary policy. But when it starts diverging, as it as it will in the U.K. with the new trust government uh, who wants mm-hmm. to who want to spend a lot, as it will with the Biden administration, as it probably will in, in Europe, uh, what you're going to have is a situation where debt and deficits are going to rise. And uh, that's gonna, probably going to spook markets further. So, mm-hmm. uh, you know, it's it, we're, we're really looking at the first time, as I say, in a generation where. Uh, policy, fiscal policymakers are going to have to get out of the rut they've been in and start thinking more creatively and, frankly, working across the aisle on a lot of this stuff. Well, the president's feeling pretty hopeful. You know, when you listen to him talk, we've got this new NBC News poll out showing his approval rating rising to 45 percent, which you wouldn't think we'd be cheering, you know, a, a water, a, an underwater number. But that's the highest in almost a year, the highest since October. How does right. he push that over 50? Is it possible? Um. Technically, yes. I think in reality, no. I mean, you've got a... Uh, so this is the high water mark. I think probably. You've got 40% of the country that's that's dead set against him. Uh, and you've got another 20% in the middle uh, that, you know, are, are resisting being reached by uh, a lot of the messaging we talked about before. Yeah. Uh, so he's not going to have any serious breakthrough anytime soon. Well, speaking of messaging, uh, you know, Taiwan came up in this 60 Minutes interview, and I wonder if there is actually a market... Uh, angle to this? I, and I, I think your answer is going to be yes. But listen to what the president said last night when he was asked directly by Scott Pelley if the United States would come militarily. This is men and women on the ground, airplanes in the air, whatever, talking about ships at sea here to help defend Taiwan in the case of a Chinese invasion. We agree with what we signed on to a long time ago. And that there's a one China policy and Taiwan makes their own judgments about their independence. We are not moving. We're not encouraging them being independent. We're not. Let, that's their decision. But would U.S. forces defend the island? Yes, if in fact there was an unprecedented attack. So that kind of talk rattles China. We heard back from them very quickly. Very stern reply from the foreign ministry. Terry Haynes, does it start to rattle the markets? I think it will fairly soon. You know, there, there's been a divergence of two things, Joe. One is there's been a divergence of opinion between the president and his own uh, State Department military establishments for quite some time about this. Uh, secondly, there's a divergence of opinion between the Biden administration and Congress. Uh, strategic ambiguity right. doesn't mean uh, you know, going in uh, two different directions uh, in the executive branch. Uh, it means there's some ambiguity in the policy. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, and finally, there is, you know, as Bloomberg's own reporting uh, uh, points out just this afternoon, there's some, you know, there's some serious question about whether the uh, United States use of force in Taiwan and the Taiwan Strait could actually accomplish its objectives. So, you know, you, you pile all that up together and uh, and combine that with the Chinese response. And there is uh, what you've got is uh, increased instability in the region rather than decreased instability in the mm-hmm. region. China's got their own issues and inconsistencies, which I won't go into, but they do. So you've got two powers here that are uh, th- th- that are not consistently messaging. And uh, and that's bad. So, yeah, that'll affect the market some, sure. It's interesting now. He's said it over four times, and the White House has come out to clarify his remarks each time. Uh, but yes, without exactly. – he never seems to change his tune on that. So does he need to call the communications office? Um, I just think they need uh, 
whatever it is, whatever our policy is, it needs to be consistently expressed because that's the thing that's best for the United States and the United States military. That's the yeah. best thing that for the people of Taiwan, frankly. Getting back to our, our, our conversation about the Fed, Terry Haynes, your expectation, yeah. I'm assuming, is 75 basis points for Wednesday. Do you think they signal uh, a pause a- after that? And I'm, I wonder if you're in, in the camp that's worried more than this president suggested in that comment to 60 Minutes that, in fact, continued hiking is going to push this economy into a recession. Maybe, maybe there's no turning back from it already. Well, I think uh, I think this, Joe, the uh, you and I had a conversation about this not long ago and uh, what you said to me and what we have the, the, us two smart people agreed on was that it's sort of obvious <laughs> to the both of us. And I still think it's obvious, frankly, um, the Fed wants to raise and they want to continue to raise. Mm-hmm. And, you know, a lot of the Fed boffins, the people that, that focus uh, monomaniacally on uh, Fed policy, I think miss the obvious, which is. You know, the, by law, the Fed is uh, the Fed's job is to get inflation down and get get it down into a two percent rate. Um, I think they're I think what they're doing is they're doing their job that Congress told them to do. Uh, so I think they're going to continue to do that. And if the result of that is a recession, uh, by the public statements of Powell and Brainerd and many others. Uh, yep. Uh, the Fed's willing to risk that. That's the cost of doing business. Terry Haynes, get home safely, and thank you for joining us from this night in London, the founder of Pangea Policy and of a regular voice here on Bloomberg Radio. I'm Joe Matthew in Washington, where the sun is still up, but not for long, and we're going to assemble the panel next. Rick Davis and Jeannie Shanzano with their take on everything we just discussed and more of what the president said to 60 Minutes. Is he going to run again? Was that an answer? There's more ahead. I'm Joe Matthew. This is Bloomberg. You're listening to Bloomberg Sound On with Joe Matthew on Bloomberg Radio. And after we just talked to Terry Haynes, he's in the camp uh, for 75 basis points, which is, of course, the expectation. Talked a lot more Uh, with Terry about the president's 60 Minutes interview. And we've, of course, got the job ahead at the United Nations General Assembly this week. So let's assemble the panel coming off the weekend. Our signature panel is here. Rick Davis and Jeannie Shanzano, Bloomberg Politics contributors. And this idea of Taiwan, again, being clarified, if you will, uh, by the White House. Rick Davis, what's your thought on this? More than four times now for Joe Biden to make it clear that the United States military is going to be there to defend Taiwan if China moves in. Uh, at what point does Beijing uh, not deal with that line of fire, if I could say that, as, as, as it has been? Usually we get the, the statement back. When does this become a problem, though? Yeah, they 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 put out a pretty vociferous protest, uh, yep. you know, shortly after his comments, and and I think the key this time is that he actually confirmed that that we would use U.S. forces uh, in a defense of Taiwan. Now, mm-hmm. you know, in the past, it's always been one of these things where, yeah, sure, we would we would be willing to defend them, but. But that could be coming in all kinds of different forms, right? Uh, weapon systems like what we're doing in Ukraine. We don't have any boots on the ground there. Sure. But this was a distinctly specific question, and he agreed that we would be willing to put U.S. forces 
in Taiwan in defense of Taiwan. And, and that is distinctly different. And so even though he's been sort of off the reservation on strategic ambiguity four times, this latest time is a real strategic shift. And huh. if, it, if this is what his view is, he should give a speech and lay out what he believes to be the doctrine change yeah. that he's doing. Because what is getting a little bit dizzying is to have the White House back it up and say, oh, no policy change here, mm-hmm. except you can't take his words and think that that's not a policy change. He's trying to slice this somehow down the middle, I guess, Jeannie, right? He's saying, the, yeah, we'll defend Taiwan, but we're not encouraging their independence, and we're still being true to the one China policy. How do you have all of those at once? Well, you can't. And the reality is, is this policy never made much sense from the beginning. I mean, if you just think about it, what does strategic ambiguity actually mean? It's an oxymoron to begin with. And for the United States to have a policy which says that China and Taiwan are one country, um, yet... The president who has said now five times that we'll go in and to Rick's point with our military defend Taiwan as an independent country. Well, you really can't have it both ways. And I think the reality is, as Joe Biden is saying sort of the quiet part out loud here, which is that the the United States has long sort of wanted to have it both ways. We want to say this. We have this ambiguous policy, but it's in our strategic interest to have it. And when the president comes out and says, yeah, we'd go in and defend everything about Taiwan. You know, this is in keeping with our commitment to what he says is the challenge of the 21st century, democracy. So he actually is saying what makes sense in terms of his beliefs and the beliefs, quite frankly, of most Americans. Yet you have the White House coming back and saying, no, 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 we we are not going to go in and do that. So, you know, the policy doesn't make much sense. We do need clarity on it, but it's been the policy of the United States for decades now. Well, I, you know, I'm wondering, Rick, if this idea of the of the the meeting of the presidents, she and Biden, is just off the table. These comments, then, then what we heard from President Xi last week, uh, as he met with Vladimir Putin in Uzbekistan. I mean, this relationship is not warming. Yeah, I think that's a really important distinction, Joe, because we're talking about how Biden is reacting in a vacuum. He's reacting to a very muscular, very uh, provocative China, right? Part of the reason we're even talking about this is because China is claiming large portions of the South China Sea as our own territorial water, which is not according to international law. They are flying their jets into, you know, Taiwanese airspace, or at least what they believe to be Taiwanese airspace. This is this is coming on the heels of a lot of provocative behavior by China. So they're forcing this issue, right? I mean, in the past, I think the concept of China invading Taiwan was not something that 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 anybody thought was imminent and therefore strategic ambiguity the idea that you leave open the door to doing something but you don't actually specifically say what it is you're going to do seemed like a good policy so i mean biden may have something here in the sense that if he's going to be called uh you know to show his hand by china might as well show his hand i mean you know there are many in the foreign policy community that believe china should understand the clear implications Hmm. of a potential attack on taiwan he won't show his hand on the next four years either, Jeannie. This came up, of course, during the interview on 60 Minutes. Are you going to run again? And pretty interesting. It's, it's a different answer, actually, than we've been hearing. Look, if I were to say to you I'm running again, all of a sudden a whole range of things come into play that I have uh, requirements I have to change and move and do. In terms of election In laws. In terms of election laws. And it's much too early to make that kind of decision. 
I'm a great respecter of fate. And so what I'm doing is I'm doing my job. I'm going to do that job. And within the time frame that makes sense after this next election cycle here, going into next year, make a judgment of what to do. Uh, hasn't he been saying he's going to run, Jeannie? He has, but this is smart politics. You know, he is right, by the way, on the campaign finance rules. Yeah, if sure. he announced, he would have to address that. That's why Donald Trump probably hasn't announced, um, amongst other reasons, because he'd lose control of the millions of dollars he's raised if he decided to run. So that is a reality. And the other reality is political. You know, if if Joe Biden or Donald Trump was to say today that they were running, that would change entirely for their respective yeah. political parties what was happening in the midterm election. So it wouldn't make political sense he's smart to stay out of it and he'll make a decision i think in the new year after the midterm is decided so is that the unanswerable question rick well i mean we've heard from other democratic congress people that he wasn't gonna yeah. run so he, he's they're not doing him any favors by keep bringing it up um uh, Jeannie's <laughs> right right nobody in their right mind would actually step ahead of a midterm election and put their name on the ballot. That's what he would do. He'd say, oh, this election is going to be all about my re-election. And (laughs) uh, there's going to be a lot of Democratic candidates like, wait a minute, I thought it was about us this year. So uh, it is something that I think he has to be cautious about. But again, uh, Democrats are going to try and force his hand. Spending time with Rick Davis and Jeannie Shanzano on a Monday, the fastest hour in politics. This is Sound On. I'm Joe Matthew in Washington. The president also declared an end to the pandemic. A couple of months ago, that would have been the top story, right? We're going to talk about that coming up next. This is Bloomberg. The president made quite a lot of news last night, a 60 Minutes interview, as we've covered in the first half of this program. But one line that really jumped out and grabbed me that would have been on the front page of every newspaper in the world ah, two years ago. Maybe even as he was coming into office, the pandemic is over. We still have a problem with COVID. We're still doing a lot of work on it. Uh, it's but the pandemic is over. That's a remarkable statement. And not everyone agrees with him, of course. Uh, Dave Chokshi, the former New York City health commissioner, talked to David Weston about it on Balance of Power earlier. David asked him if the president's right. Uh, Well, I wish it were true, David, um, but it's not. You know, we've got tens of thousands of Americans who have died just in the last few months uh, related to COVID-19, tens of thousands of infections a day. Dr. Eric Topol joins us, executive vice president and professor of molecular medicine at Scripps Research Institute, author of the newsletter Ground Truths. Doctor, it's great to have you back here. Uh, one, were you surprised to hear the president of the United States say that so uh, candidly? And two, is he right? Well, good to be with you, Joe. Uh, Yes, I was surprised, like you and many others, uh, because unfortunately we're not uh, at a point where we could declare the pandemic is over. The only way to do that is to be many months of very low cases, the things that are under control, the virus contained, and we're nowhere near that. And you can't declare the pandemic over until you look backwards and see that you're in this durable, stable situation. I guess, you know, another way that, that, that I, I tend to think of this is imagine if there were any other reason why 400, 500 people were dying a day. It would be the biggest story in the world. But we've actually grown used to this. Yeah, we've been made numb to it, unfortunately. And that's been going on, Joe, 
uh, four to five hundred deaths per day from COVID nineteen since April. Yeah. For over six months, it's been a long plateau, and uh, there's no sign that that's letting up. Well, so doctor, I wonder, uh, you know, are you expecting a surge in the cold weather? Is that not going to happen this time around? If if the pandemic is at least less intense than it was, uh, say, last winter, I mean, what happens if we get a new Omicron? What's going to happen to that statement? I'm assuming it doesn't age very well. Well, in the near term, things are going to look fairly good because we're coming down this BA5 variant wave. Yeah. Uh, so there'll be lower levels of circulating virus. That'll come down progressively over the weeks ahead. So there will be a lull. We will get a reprieve. But in the next couple of months, like November or later, we will yeah. see another surge because a new variant, whether it's one we've already seen that has the most immune evasiveness of any variant yet in the pandemic, the so-called BA.2.75.2. I wish it had a better name than that, Joe. <laughs> well, it but will. that one looks really, really rough because it's going to challenge our vaccines and our infection immunity. But it could be something else, like you said. It could be a whole new family. More than likely, it's going to be something we've seen already, which is that right in the country now, 1% level. But remember, when that gets legs, it goes into exponential growth. That's why November, somewhere along the line, December, we could be in for more trouble. Wow. And no one's going to have a mask on by then, right? No one's testing the way they were. So that sneaks up on us. We haven't been funding COVID. No one's going to be able to get tests. And Joe Biden is going to get blamed, right? Well, uh, it's certainly not going to be right. Do I to sound pessimistic? Over. Yeah. I mean, if we were if we were going after this virus, getting ahead of the virus, you know, working hard to get nasal vaccines, yep. getting better vaccines that last longer instead of declaring that we could have an annual shot where there's no evidence to support that. But we're not doing those things. So the best way is to you know, really uh, leverage the science, the great science that's ongoing, get us better tools to work with so we don't have to rely on masks or the booster shots that last only four months. We have to do better than that. Well, look, although I'm curious, you point out that it's most likely going to be something we've already seen. Does that mean if you are fully vaccinated, if you're keeping up with your boosting and so forth, you're, you're good? Well, it depends. Uh, you see, the, 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 the variant that is most troubling right now is different enough than BA5, the one that we've just been through or going yeah. through, that it's going to challenge uh, the vaccines. Probably okay. it will not help. It'll be a lot more infections. Uh, there'll be a lot of spread. There'll be some protection, of course, from the vaccines and mm-hmm. from prior infections and the combination. But it's just it's going to challenge things. There's going to be more people getting sick, more long COVID, more suffering. Where is it right now, doctor? And is, is it around the country, but a very small percentage of infections yes. or? OK, so that that's how you describe at, it. It's at the one percent level. Got it. So, Joe, if you just look at it, if let's say it doubles every week, right? It, by the t- it doesn't really you don't see it until it gets to 50 percent or greater it becomes dominant so we've got several weeks of you know relative quiescence but if that one gets going like it likely will or others that are in our sights we're gonna we have some more trouble we got some more bumps in the road ahead sounds like it's not time to declare mission accomplished here to me <laughs> hardly uh, at what point is it an endemic when do we start calling it that well, you know, it depends on what definition you prefer. But the way I like to look at it is, you know, if you go back to June of 2021, 
we were down to less than 12,000 cases a day. You know, right now we're at 70,000 and we're not, as you said, testing very much. It's right. a lot more than that. It's in the hundreds of thousands. So we got down to uh, 200 some deaths a day instead of close to 500. That's what you call containment. We've mm. been there. We can get there again. But we have to aggressively pursue it. And if you tell people the pandemic's over, who's going to go get a booster shot? Well, that's who's right. Take this seriously. Well, yeah. especially when people are told now, gosh, you don't even need a mask on the New York City subway. Good luck getting everyone to mask up again when the next surge happens. That's that's the concern here, too, doctor. Yeah, no, if you if you feed into the the fantasy that the that this is over you're not going to get anybody to mitigate get boosters or I mean any significant proportion we have a big booster problem as it exists today in the united states yeah. we are ranked 72nd as countries in the world for our booster rate which is one in three americans wow. only and so it's it's actually really a pathetic uptake of boosters and then to declare the pandemic's over how are we going to get this booster rate up because that's the best way to protect our population unbelievable doctor thank you so much for putting things in perspective that is a serious reality check from dr eric topol oh boy looking forward to christmas this year we're going to reassemble the panel next rick and Jeannie with their take on the pandemic over we'll see this is bloomberg you're listening to Bloomberg Sound On with Joe Matthew on Bloomberg Radio. Thanks for being with us as we get a new week underway here. I'm Joe Matthew in Washington. This is Bloomberg Sound On, and we reassemble the panel. Jeannie Shanzano and Rick Davis are with us as we consider this idea of the pandemic suddenly being over. Again, in the words of Joe Biden on 60 Minutes. We still have a problem with COVID. We're still doing a lot of work on it. Uh, it's But the pandemic is over. Jeannie, I'm pretty depressed after hearing from Dr. Eric Topol. I think everyone agrees on that. I mean, the idea of going through this again this winter and the numbers now compared to where they were uh, six months, a year ago. Why is the president saying that on national TV? This to me was one of the most stunning parts of this interview. Um, the president says the pandemic is over in part. He gave a reason, as I uh, heard it, because people aren't wearing masks. But as you listen to the doctor, of course, that is not the situation. And, you know, you move beyond this. Let's not forget the administration has asked Congress for twenty two point four billion dollars. Yeah. That is n that funding is necessary. And you, you couple that with the fact if the pandemic is over, what happens to his student loan write-off? What happens to the issue of all these people on Medicaid that the states can't remove unless the emergency is called off and food stamps for work requirements? All of these factors are, you know, tied to the idea that we are in a pandemic and there is an emergency. All of a sudden he announced that, that, that it's over. I thought maybe like Taiwan, the White House would come back and push back against that, but they didn't as huh. far as I know. And yeah. so it leaves a very precarious situation well, from that a doesn't lot mean of they, they can't still right does the just should the white house clarify those remarks rick you know i i think that may be where they are um at some point they uh, you'd think they're going to want to turn the page uh, uh you know uh, you mentioned mission impossible during the 
the the the the Bush administration. I mean, you know, at some point the president gets tired of fighting the old fight yeah. and says, "Okay, I'm turning the page. You know, mission impo- mission has been accomplished. accomplished. Uh, there is yeah. no, I'm sorry, mission impossible. <laughs> mission has been accomplished and um there's no more pandemic, like a wave of a of a of a wand." Right. And uh Where's he going to be though if we do have another surge next winter? People are told they can't get on a train or a plane without putting a mask on. I mean, you thought it was bad the first time around. Yeah, I don't think there's any going back. I think at that stage, he's going to sort of adopt it. the Trump type uh, policy, which is just blow through <laughs> it, everybody. I mean, like, ride we're it like a cowboy. Do the best we can. Ride it like a cowboy. Oh, my God. Well, speaking of Donald Trump, uh, he he held a rally over the weekend. And I'm not going to pick through the whole. I mean, my, it, was, it was so long and he, he said so many things, but I was really compelled uh, by the way the speech closed. It was quite remarkable. Actually, you you remember this video that came out a couple of weeks back uh, that some people, including myself, asked, is this the, the launch uh, of his presidential campaign? And it was essentially titled, I, I believe, A Nation in Decline. And it included very sad sounding music that we've since learned is apparently some sort of has some sort of QAnon connection. But. Just from a, an optic standpoint, from a performance standpoint, to think this is this is happening at one of these Wild West Trump rallies where he really gets the crowd moving. Now he's speaking over canned music to close the speech with essentially the same script he used in that video. This is how he walks into it. I'm going to just take you through this quickly. We're going to do the whole thing. But now we are a nation in decline. Okay, the music comes up. We are a failing nation. We are a nation that has the highest inflation in 50 years. And now so he and he gets sort of lower tones like this. And, and you know, gosh, he, this went on for minutes. We are a nation that allowed Russia to devastate a country, Ukraine. Went through the war in Ukraine. Killing hundreds of thousands of people. And it will only get worse. It would never have happened with me as your commander in chief. So again, the nation. We've got a federal bureau of investigation that won't allow bad election changing facts to be presented to the public the strings come up on the Where Hunter Biden's laptop Hunter Biden's Russian laptop got in information when they knew okay, it so wasn't. then we come to the close here and think you know remember how Donald Trump used to wind up the crowd with the make America smarter again safer again going through to make it rich again but he sticks with the, the low tones over the strings at the end we will make America proud again We will make America safe again. And we will make America great again. There it is, okay. Thank you, Ohio. God bless you. Thank you, Ohio. Then the music goes down and Sam and Dave come on. (laughs) I don't know who's planning this exactly, but some people think that the music is intentional. We'll get to that in a second. Rick, I'm just wondering where you are on this use of you know, for what's really an unpredictable event. That's why people want to go. This use of pre-production here and music behind Donald Trump. Well, you know, it's always been the the greatest show on earth for politics, right? I mean, Uh he speaks for almost two hours. Uh, He usually unloads on the candidates that he's there to endorse. Uh, You know, it's really all about him and his grievances. And we saw that uh, in the clips that you were uh, playing. But, you know, that went on for hour and over an hour. So so it is predictable in that regard. But I I imagine, too, I mean, they've got to keep this audience um, um, 
entertained, and it's it, a lot of it is the same audience that goes to all his rallies. I mean, he's he's like the Grateful Dead of politics. I mean, it's people travel around the country <laughs> right. going to his rallies, the same people. Yeah, and so he's he and it was it was seen that way. I mean, part of what was happening in the audience while that was going on is not only people doing the usual thing, which is holding up their phones to record every minute of his last uh, monologue, yeah. but also this sort of, you know, what we're told is a QAnon salute, which is pointing the one finger up, you know, and uh, and I was really amazed because I had not seen that in previous rallies. Yes. Now, this uh, is a and, very important detail that Rick is pointing out. As the music starts, the strings come up, the president starts talking. And, you know, they keep the lights up, I think, for the whole speech, right? They just uh, every Trump, all the lights, the house lights are up. Uh, everyone, oh, I'm not going to say everyone, it, a, a massive, a wide majority of people in the room hold their arms up high with the, with the one finger, the number one finger salute to the air. You think maybe that means America first, but Rick, this is a QAnon sign. Yeah, I mean, and I, it's incredulous to me because I, I know how hard it is to get a crowd to react. Normally, you hand them out a piece of paper when they come in saying, on this cue, you must do X, you know, like, right. and this looked completely spontaneous as if they knew something none of us knew, uh, and they were responding to it in mass. And so uh, I'd love, I mean, talk about something you want to learn a mystery of what in the world was going on in Ohio, well, uh, you know, or for this speech. I'd like to know, Jeannie, does it, is it, when people point their fingers to the sky, does that mean more than it appears? Well, we are told, as Rick said, and this is all new to me, that it is an index finger salute symbolizing America first. And it is part of this sort of culture within this QAnon community, I guess, if you can call it that, and this America first community. But, you know, what I thought was going on in Ohio, quite frankly, was a midterm election. And you have Donald Trump out there doing this, and you've just got to wonder, who is he trying to help? This certainly is not helping the candidates for election. You know, it's not going to help a Mike DeWine. It's not going to help a J.D. Vance to be out there. You can't court court rather swing voters and moderate voters needed to win close elections like this by you know going in with this kind of uh, you know s- sort of um you know conspiracy theory laden uh rallies you know no matter how moving it is to the people there it's simply yeah. not moving to independent voters and, and you know you had people like Barry McCaffrey standing out there mm-hmm. on Twitter saying that this was like a Nuremberg a Hitler rally in 1936 mm-hmm. this is what it's come to so i'm not sure what he is trying to do yeah, well, Media Matters uh, says they've identified this song as a QAnon, uh, I guess, dog whistle, or in this case, a theme, uh, identified as WWG1WGA. That's It's posted with that name on Spotify. It stands for Where We Go One, We Go All, written by an artist named Richard Feelgood, which I, that's great. Um no but relation. that's the slogan. Yeah, <laughs> that's the slogan for QAnon, right? Where we go, one we go all. Hence, also the finger in the air. Uh, per Media Matters, uh, one of the QAnon followers commenting online described this as the mother of all Q proofs and quote the biggest nod they've ever given us. Unquote. This is the song. Music again. It's a real downer. I don't know if what in the world this has really to do with QAnon, but uh, maybe it's a meditative theme. 
But it's perfect when you're describing a nation in decline, as it turns out. And I don't know. I just wonder, Rick, are we going to see this as the close to all of these speeches? You know, it's hard to tell. I mean, what kind of reaction he got on the, from Maybe the crowd that sounds like they'll want to replicate that. But Trial um, balloon? I just don't know what the meaning of it is. In other words, if here we go one, we go all, I don't, where are we going? Yeah. Uh, and if you look at the conspiracy theories that back up the QAnon cult, uh, it's pretty disturbing. So... Uh, I think that any legitimate reporter that interviews Donald Trump in the near term should ask him the question, what was this all about? to start asking. Uh, Producer Christine reminds us that's also a Motley Crue song. Where we go one, we go all. Jeannie, maybe he ought to try that one next time. Yeah, that might be a little bit more uplifting. I'll tell you where they're probably not going if they keep this up is yeah. to take over the Senate. And, you know, poor J.D. Oh, Vance wow. must be yeah. kicking himself. I wonder if he knows that song. I mean, I've learned a lot here. I really, I didn't know anything about any of this Q stuff. But Rick and Jeannie, thank you as always. Our signature panel, Rick Davis and Jeannie Shanzano, Bloomberg Politics contributors with us here on a Monday. That's not the song I can leave you with, though, because, you know, today's an important anniversary. It's been 20 years. September 17th, 2002, President George W. Bush speaking on teaching American history and civic education with a classic, I know it's a blooper, but a classic moment in presidential history. There's an old saying in Tennessee, I know it's in Texas, probably in Tennessee, that says, fool me once. Yep. Shame on, shame on you. Fool me, we can't get fooled again. Can't get fooled again. That's more like it. With apologies to the former president, I'll meet you back here tomorrow on the fastest hour in politics. I'm Joe Matthew. This is Bloomberg.